I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. I hope the turkey was delicious. I hope the family and friends were swell. I hope the travels were safe. Another Thanksgiving holiday and a long one full of NFL football at that. Three Thursday games, a Friday game, a full Sunday slate. We will get to the whole thing as we always do here on a Monday morning. A chalk-heavy holiday weekend in the NFL. Week 12 favorites currently sitting at 12-3. and with one game left to play. That's the the number one theme for me coming out of week 12. I, I looked this up in my own, in my own power rankings, humble brag, I guess, but nine teams entered this week with seven or more wins. The, the cream of the crop, if you will, those teams went seven and two this week. A lot of muscle flexing happening in the NFL this week. With the exception, really, going all the way back to Thursday afternoon, the first game on Thanksgiving, the Lions lost to Green Bay on Thursday. Really the only upset. The heavyweights were dominant this week. Eagles did their best to give everyone a heart attack, but they win once again. We will get to that. Plenty to talk about with the Eagles coming up, but I want to start the Sunday 6 on the other side of the league in the AFC. If you're new to the show, or if, if you're a longtime listener, we appreciate it. You know the drill. The Sunday Six, every week we try to give you the six news items we really think you need to know. And this week, I do think we need to start in the AFC, which is shaping up to be every bit the meat grinder we thought it would be. I said the heavyweights flex their muscles. Nowhere was that more evident than in the AFC, where all four division leaders held serve won their games, and a few of them in very convincing fashion. The Ravens, Chiefs, Dolphins all win by double digits. And then there's the big one in Houston, the one that we previewed, Jaguars, Texans. Jags going down to Houston for the rematch. One of the most entertaining games of the day. The Jaguars hold on to beat Houston 24-21. Wanted to get into all the ins and outs of it, and who better to talk to than the expert, our guy, Ben Arthur, Fox Sports AFC South writer. We went through all of the particulars from the heart-stopping field goal at the end, everything in between, Jags, Texans, check it out. All right, Ben, I would say that lived up to the billing. Jags escape the Houston Texans down in Houston, 24-21. I want to take you to the end of it first because I'm curious. D'Amico Ryan's opts for a 58-yard field goal as time expires. I mean, I got to give credit to Matt Amendola. The kick bounces off the crossbar. He gave it everything he had. But am I crazy if with the way C.J. Stroud's been playing, maybe it's a a better opportunity to give C.J. Stroud one more shot to try to move closer? Fourth and 12, I get it, but I still think it's worth considering. Yeah, yeah. Like Just like you said, Dave, I I get it. Uh, you, you understand the situation, right? Just get it to overtime, 20 seconds left. They didn't have any timeouts left. Fourth and 12, uh, 58-yard field goal. Obviously, you you would have maybe have liked to have been closer, but it's a makeable field goal, right? Um, but you, you consider Matt Amendola has, had previously attempted like three field goals from 50-plus in his career, had missed all of them. And then, as you said, the way CJ is played, uh, not only just throughout this season, but in that game uh, and even on that drive, like he had gotten the Texans out of a second and 25, just like 
I, I think three, three, four plays earlier just to make it a, a third and manageable, which they converted. Um, and, and so you think of like kind of this, all your all world quarterback opportunity to, to kind of help you guys win the game. Um, and you put the hand, you put the game in the hands of a kicker who you obviously have faith in. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, 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 you know, a guy who hasn't made a field goal of that distance. Uh, and then you think of the, the pressure of that moment as well. So, so yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen CJ have the ball in his hands. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, are in our camp as well, Dave, but, but again, you, you kind of understand why D'Amico did what he did. All right, we can get to CJ in a little bit, but the Jaguars, actually the winning team in this game, they hold on to first place in the AFC South. Every time I talk to you, we're we're waiting for for this breakout game from the Jags. What did you see from them? And, you know, I it feels like there's been some hand-wringing about the Jags, honestly, especially with the loss to San Francisco a couple weeks ago. And then you look and eight and three right there in the mix at the top of the AFC. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think first of all, We've seen how good uh, this defense has been, uh, but but kind of their Achilles heel on the defensive side of the ball, I think, has been the pass rush. Like we've been looking for it to be more consistent, like beyond Josh Allen, who's been terrific. And I think in this game, uh, we, we really saw consistency up front, like especially on that final drive. Right. Josh Allen. Uh, had uh, a sack and a half. Trayvon Walker, a split sack with Josh. Uh, Allen on um, uh, it was like that last sack uh, of um, on that Texans possession. Uh, but then even throughout that game, they were able to get pressure on CJ. He was sacked four times the most since uh, I think it was week two. Uh, so they, they were able to get after him in a way that other teams haven't uh, for, for a couple months now. Um, so as good as kind of like the back end, like secondary, the linebacker group, like how good is how good they've been to see that D line, that pass rush unit really get after it was good to see. Um, but then offensively, I think having Trevor Lawrence stack another great game, like he's coming off a game where he had four total touchdowns, another terrific game uh, today, uh, 363 passing yards, uh, just uh, four four yards off of uh, his career high. Um, and, and even the interception he had shouldn't have been a pick because Evan he was targeting Evan Ingram, who was actually held, uh, and, and and the the refs missed the call. It should have been a DPI, really. Um, but but yeah, Trevor Trevor had a, a great game. Uh, I think that there were times where you would have liked to see some more execution, uh, better execution. They, they did leave some points on the board in the first half. Uh, and, and then in the second half, I think when they really had a, a chance to like even prevent that kind of possible comeback uh, for the Texans, like in the first place, like if they had just uh, converted, like just had a, a catch more or converted on, on a third down here and there, uh, you would have liked to have seen that. But all in all, um, I think just with the way Trevor was playing uh, and then that connection he had with Calvin Ridley, I think we've seen when Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley are in sync, like this offense is so, so good. I mean, that they weren't able to connect in the first half. Calvin had like the dropped touchdown uh, like at the end of the second quarter, but then had responded with five catches for 89 yards and a touchdown and a two point conversion in the second half. And, and so I think all those good things are good to see uh, Trevor continuing to play well, that, that rapport with Calvin Ridley continuing to build. And then that pass rush, as I said, defensively kind of what, what's been like the weak, we, the weakness of, of a really strong defense really get going. And especially on that, like gotta have it uh, last Texans drive. So I think all those are positives for the Jags. I wanted to make sure we mentioned Josh Allen and it's, it's, not fair for him that we always have to say defense, Josh Allen, not the guy up in Buffalo guys having an amazing season. Jags pass rush looked as good as it has all year. Is it, is, was there something more to it than just Josh Allen going beast mode? Is this sustainable as they move forward? Cause I think if they can do that on a regular basis, I think you have to feel a heck of a lot better about their, their odds as an overall team. Yeah, I think it's becoming more sustainable because I think the last several 
we've seen this pass rush start to play better beyond Josh Allen. As I said, uh, Trayvon Walker is a guy, you know, former number one overall pick, a guy who you need to be like a top tier edge guy. If you're uh, Jacksonville uh, in terms of disrupting the quarterback, we've seen him over the last few weeks, even in that 49ers game where they got blown out. Um, he he was kind of making positive progress and then combining with Josh Allen on that critical sack on that Texans last possession was huge. And, and so I think we know what we're getting from Josh Allen at this point. He, he has a career high 12.5 sacks in, in just 11 games, six more games to go. But you, you get Trayvon Walker playing at an elite level um, as well. And, and if he continues to improve, uh, there's a lot to be excited, uh, a lot to be excited about, because when you got two guys playing is playing that well, I mean, obviously it creates opportunities uh, for, for everyone on, on that defensive front and then helps out a back end for, for Jacksonville, which has already been really good. Entered the entered the this week leading the, the NFL with 20 takeaways. So um, I, I think these last few weeks I've become more confident in this pass rush, uh, th their ability to be consistent, mainly because of what Trayvon Walker has been able to do the last few games. You got to love the way narratives change over the course of a season. Because I'm looking at it right now. Thrilling game, two good teams. Both of them playing a lot of really favorable matchups down the stretch. Is I mean, is this a situation... I could easily imagine the AFC South having two playoff teams when this is all said and done. That doesn't even mention the Indianapolis Colts, who got a win as well. How surprising is it to see the strength of this division and know that we could be in for a very entertaining finish in this division? Yeah, the fact, Dave, that you even said strength of this division is is putting me in, right? in a trip. And, and actually, the fact that you mentioned Indianapolis, I mean, they're, they're actually second in the AFC South right now that with uh, Houston losing to, to Jacksonville, uh, the, Houston has dropped to third. The Colts have the tiebreaker over Houston at six and five. And so it, it's actually uh, Jacksonville, Indy and, and then Houston. So, I mean, we could potentially see three teams. Uh, I, I mean, the fact that that's even a possibility is crazy. Uh, the, the Jags are certainly in the mix for uh, the, the number one overall seed. Uh, and yeah, you look at the schedules uh, upcoming. I, I think the Jags, the, their next game is uh, Monday night against the Bengals, who obviously just lost Joe Burrow. So that game looks a lot more encouraging from the Jags perspective. And, and the Texans schedule uh, is is they have the easier schedule than 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 uh, than Jacksonville does. And, and then. I guess we're kind of at a point now where we just can't underestimate the Colts, even if they're not getting the kind of quarterback play that you want. The with the between the run game, Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, and the way their defense is playing, uh, you really can't count count them out. And what Shane Steichen has been able to do out there in Indy, I mean, no one expected them uh, to be doing what they're doing, especially after losing Anthony Richardson. So just the fact. Again, that that you're saying strength of the AFC South is crazy uh, because entering the year, it really only looks like the the Jags would, would be you know, like contend at a high level in, in the AFC. But but we, we got the Jags. The Texans are are, are clearly, you know, a team now with, with CJ Stroud and the Colts are kind of surprising people. Just just like we all drew it up, man. Jags, one of the best teams in the AFC. CJ Stroud. I mean, we could have handed him offensive rookie of the year a month ago, I think what, throwing over 300 yards for his fourth straight game, I think we can go ahead and lock that up. And this is going to be just an incredibly entertaining finish in the AFC South. I can't wait to see it play out. Ben, I'm positive we will talk to you about it again. Thanks for the time, my man. No problem. Always got you, Dave. Thank you. Big win for the Jags. They now hold the AFC's number two seed at eight and three. But like I said at the top, they weren't alone. All four of the division leaders in the AFC now have eight or more wins. The margin between earning the bye week and finishing all the way down in the fourth seed is as thin as it's been all year. Case in point, Baltimore Ravens, currently your AFC number one seed after a 20 to 10 win against the Chargers right here in LA. They lead 
basically just because they've played more games than anybody else. They're nine and three. They are just now going on their bye week, very late bye week for the Ravens. So they've got one more win than everybody else in the field. Theoretically possible they go into a tie while they're not playing. That's how thin this thing looks. Thing you need to know about this game, Ravens finally managed to close out a close one. They've shown a nasty tendency to lose some games that they've dominated. And honestly, I thought it might happen again here. Justin Tucker misses a 44-yard field goal with 3.02 to play, opens the door for the comeback. First of all, when Justin Tucker misses, period, let alone from that range, from inside of 50, you're saying, huh? And with what we've seen against teams like Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, it, I, I was having some flashbacks, and I bet Ravens fans were too. Credit to them for bucking the trend. They turned the Chargers over on downs. Honestly, the Chargers' last gas drive to tie or win the game didn't really come that close. They get their, The Ravens get their third sack of the night. They sack Justin Herbert on a fourth and six. That looks like it's going to seal it. And then a few plays later, Zay Flowers puts the game away. 37-yard touchdown run. I'm sure that was particularly exciting for those of you that bet the Ravens to cover. Number one seed, nine and three. Not a game that I would advise anybody to rewatch, but a win is a win. And again, all three of the Ravens' losses this year have come at the end of games that I think they should have won. So to buck that trend, to figure out how to not let that happen, I think it counts for at least something. Number two seed, the Kansas City Chiefs. Looked like they needed a little bit of time to shake off the disappointment of the Monday night loss to Philadelphia. Honestly, before I could even blink, you're watching Eagles Bills. You're watching all the other, you're watching Cardinals Rams. Keep an eye on that. All of a sudden, the Chiefs are down 14 to nothing, like one possession into the second quarter. Josh Jacobs takes it to the house, 14 nothing hole. You're thinking it's a division game. You're remembering the Chiefs offense has struggled to score in the second half of these games, and you're saying, buckle up, here we go. But then the Chiefs wake up. They shook off the disappointment. They outscore the Raiders 31-3 to from there. They score in the second half for the first time in a month. The thing you need to know is that Rasheed Rice is continuing to come along, and I think if a member of this Chiefs passing attack not named Travis Kelsey is going to step up for Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be the rookie out of SMU. Ironically, Rice even had a couple drops in this game, but he rebounded in a big, big way, led all receivers 107 yards on the day, first 100-yard game of his career, and a really, really nifty run-after-catch touchdown. Chiefs offense getting to 30 points. It, it's funny how this stuff works out. I, I think I'm, I was even saying maybe we're wringing our hands with the way this offense has looked in the second half. Then they score 30 points. They're right there neck and neck with the Ravens for the number one seed. Last but not least, we already mentioned the Jags. We'll talk about the Miami Dolphins. I feel bad. Eight and three, hanging out at the four seed. We'll see how it goes. They cruised past the Jets on Black Friday. I don't think we really had a chance to talk to this, talk about this over the holiday weekend. 395 yards, 34 points, a very easy division win. I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't, please go. Even if you have, please go rewatch Javon Holland's 99-yard pick six on the Jets' Hail Mary at the end of the first half of that game. It's one of the coolest, also funniest plays you'll see all season. I think it's it's just, unfortunately for Tim Boyle, very emblematic of the Jets' struggles at quarterback this year. Unfortunately, the thing you need to know coming out of this game, Dolphins pass rusher Jalen Phillips tore his Achilles in the fourth quarter, had six and a half sacks on the season. Nice bookend to go with Bradley Chubb. Finally seemed like the Dolphins' defense was getting to full health. Jalen Ramsey came back a few weeks ago. They lose Phillips for the year. That's a brutal blow for him. It's a tough blow for the Dolphins. We'll see how they rebound moving on. But offense looking very, very impressive. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle both going over 100 yards. All four those teams within a half game of each other. Like I said, Baltimore's only on top because they've played more. It's as tight of a margin as we've seen all year heading into the final month of the season in the AFC. Let's keep it right in the AFC for the second item on our Sunday six this week, and that is the AFC wildcard race. It is just as hotly contested as the race for the number one overall seed. There are six non-division leaders in the AFC right now who are at or above 500. There's only three spots for them. If that's not evidence enough, how about the fact that 
the longest winning streak in the NFL, apart from the Eagles. I'll continue to give them credit. But the Denver Broncos, who don't even come close to leading their division, are sitting now at a five-game winning streak as they get a big win over the Cleveland Browns. Joined now by the guys who called the game. That's our own Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. From one and five to six and five, we know the Broncos are one of the hottest teams in the NFL. But having had a chance to watch them live, what do you think is the most impressive thing about this win streak that they've put together? Well, I, I, you have to start with that defense. I think the way the defense has turned it around from giving up 70 points to Miami earlier in the season, it looks like a different team out there. Well, it's clear after the South Beach beatdown, that's kind of what I've dubbed it. They've did, done some soul searching, um, and Vance Joseph has got this defense ready to play. Browning is really emerging. Uh, I think Justin Simmons, you're always going to have a chance with that guy, and he's playing lights out. P.J. Locke steps in for Jackson, who's out and suspended. But then on offense, i got to tell you, it's their formula, and it's a new formula. It's a prefix menu. If Russ is cooking, it's a prefix menu. You're going to get a heavy portion of that run game. 37 attempts on the ground, only 22 in the air. That's their formula to win right now. They're averaging about 28 attempts a game in this win streak, and that's really what's happened for this team. When Russ extends plays and finds Sutton downfield, okay, great. We'll let that happen. But we want to establish a run game and then get into our play action stuff. That's their secret sauce right now. I heard you all talking about this at the end of the game. and look, I know all wins in the NFL are hard to come by, but it's hard not to notice – some of the teams the Broncos have beaten now, whether you want to talk about the Chiefs, the Bills, they beat a phenomenal defense in Cleveland today. What do you think it does for their confidence that, I mean, these isn't just anybody they're beating. I mean, they're playing with some of the best teams in the league. Well, five straight wins over five teams that are currently in playoff contention. So you're not just feasting on the softer part of your no. schedule, you're getting wins against really good teams. That's exactly right, and these teams aren't pushovers, especially after you started 1-5. and five. I, I can't say that enough because new coach, new regime, new culture, everybody's looking around for answers, and at 1-5, and five, you're starting to second-guess everything. Sean Payton admitted it in the morning show with Carissa Thompson, saying, yeah, there's a little doubt. So I guarantee you those guys had to convince themselves that this is the way we want to do stuff. we got to trust our process. The results will follow. And, you know, to their credit, <laughs> they've, they've trusted the course and really started to believe. Russell Wilson mentioned it. they got some momentum, man, and this momentum's real. Seems like an annual tradition at this point. There's always a, a remarkable turnaround in the second half of the season. This year it is definitely the Denver Broncos. Guys, as always, I really appreciate the time. You got it. Yes, sir. Just can't get over the fact that this Broncos team allowed 70 points in that loss to Miami, like Mark alluded to, and just 80 points allowed in all five of these wins combined. Incredible stuff. What's just as incredible, the Browns team that they just took it to has a better record than them. We got the graphic on the wall right here. A lot of really, not just good teams, but surprising teams. And I think it speaks to the season the Browns are having. They still sit at seven and four. They're still firmly in position to earn a playoff spot, despite a season that is becoming more and more injury plagued by the week. I mean, look, the, the Broncos won and all credit to them, but... We see Miles Garrett come out of this game in a sling on his left shoulder. Said he felt something pop. Never, never a good thing to hear coming out of a football game, especially from your defensive player of the year candidate. Broncos offensive line did a wonderful job mitigating the Browns pass rush. But for what we've already seen with, with the quarterback issues, losing Deshaun Watson, don't know how much you can afford to lose a guy like Miles Garrett. Hopefully that's not a serious situation. I just mentioned quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson also left this game, took a huge hit from Denver linebacker Baron Browning. He's now in concussion protocol and we'll just round it out with Amari Cooper. Browns star whiteout exited the game with a rib injury. Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski said the x-rays he underwent were negative. Just because nothing's broken doesn't mean he's not in a hell of a lot of pain. That's three pretty big injuries to monitor and they'll be monitoring them from the road. The Browns aren't going back to Cleveland right now. Their next game's right here in L.A. against the Rams. They're going to come out to the West Coast and spend the week hoping for some news that helps them keep the wild card hunt afloat because they're already doing this without Deshaun Watson. Can't afford to lose somebody like Miles Garrett specifically. But even, again, having another quarterback injury, 
Browns did sign Joe Flacco. We'll see if they need to turn to him. Lot to monitor there. I want to talk about the next team on this list, though. The next team down in the standings. And as Ben Arthur alluded to earlier in this show, surprise, surprise, it is the Indianapolis Colts, not the Houston Texans, who are currently number two in the AFC South. This is a team I feel like nobody in in the NFL outside of Indianapolis itself has been talking about the Colts. And all of a sudden, here they are at six and five, currently the seventh seed in the AFC. And the most remarkable thing, in my opinion, about Indy's win over Tampa Bay on Sunday was that it felt really comprehensive to me. You know, two teams that are hovering near 500, you expect it to be a typical slapdash NFL game that comes down to the wire. It's anybody's guess who wins. After Jonathan Taylor's first touchdown put the Colts ahead at the end of the first quarter, they led the rest of the way, often by double digits. They outgained the Buccaneers by 100 yards. They converted three out of four fourth down attempts. Remarkable show of aggression by Shane Steichen. And even when Tampa Bay did get the ball back down seven with a minute and a half to play, it took all of four snaps before Samson Ebucom strip sack Baker Mayfield clinched the game. Little stressful, but for the most part, for a team that wasn't above 500 coming into this game, this felt, dominance not the right word, but it, it never felt in doubt that the Colts were going to win this game. I really don't think Shane Steichen is going to win NFL Coach of the Year. It, it's a very narrative-driven award. Some of this stuff has already been set in motion from that standpoint. But I'm here to say I hope that changes, especially if the Colts remain in the playoff picture. We're definitely not talking enough about the turnaround for this team. Indianapolis finished 4-12-1 last year. They picked in the top five. They used that pick on Anthony Richardson. Remember, the preseason narrative was Texans, Colts, maybe the Titans with Will Levis. They're just three bad teams with young quarterbacks getting reps. Obviously, C.J. Stroud proved everybody wrong with how far ahead of schedule he was. Shane Steichen hasn't even had the benefit of getting to play Anthony Richardson. The rookie went out week five. They've been playing with Gardner Minshew ever since. Coincidentally, they didn't get Jonathan Taylor, their all-pro running back, back in the lineup until week five. That's the only name that, or at least one of a few names, that I think a casual NFL fan would even know. And they played a third of the season without him. Jonathan Taylor just now rounding into form, two touchdowns against the Buccaneers. One of the only other names I could think of that the casual NFL fan would know is linebacker Shaquille Leonard, and they cut him last week. So this is a young team without a lot in the way of household names. It's now above 500, fighting for a playoff spot, very manageable schedule, heading down the home stretch. I'm just not sure if the Colts have the sex appeal to compete with a situation like C.J. Stroud. I mean, that is that is an easy situation to pinpoint, an easy turnaround to note because you've got Stroud setting all of these milestones every single week. It's still worth mentioning. Shane Steichen and the Indianapolis Colts are doing a hell of a job. Plenty of other teams are in the hunt in the AFC, even if they're not currently in the playoff picture. None more entertaining on Sunday afternoon than the Buffalo Bills. Let's, yeah, we've talked long enough without mentioning the most thrilling game of week 12. That would be the Bills' overtime loss to Philly. They go down to the link. They lose 37-34 in overtime to the Eagles. I'll get it out of, the, out of the way right now, Eagles fans. Fret not. We're not ignoring you. We're not disrespecting you. Incredibly gritty win by the Birds in the rain, outlasting the Bills in overtime without Lane Johnson after a slow start. They never say die. They have the best record in the league. We get it. We're actually going to do a whole segment on the Eagles in Tuesday's show. We'll be talking to our own Ralph Vacchiano about that, about the upcoming matchup with San Francisco. We'll do plenty of Eagles talk this week, I promise you. But I want to focus on the Bills today because, look, the Eagles are going to the playoffs, right? We know that. The Eagles are the best team in the NFL. We know that, too. I'm fascinated by the juxtaposition of how good the Bills looked on Sunday versus what's now in front of them as they drop to 6-6 six and six and are going to have to work really hard 
just to make the playoffs. Bills head coach Sean McDermott falls to one and six in overtime for his career. Josh Allen now 0 and six. Brutal. But that is what they're going to need to look like if they're going to make the playoffs this year. I said a few weeks ago, Josh Allen needs to go Super Saiyan. Well, that's what it looks like when he does. 420 total yards, four touchdowns, led the entire game in rushing. Throws for 339. He was 7 of 10 on third down in the second half in overtime. If you watch the overtime period, it felt like the Bills were purposefully just putting Josh in third and long because that's where he was playing his best, just dicing the Eagles up in the most clutch of situations. And it still could have been so much better. Allen threw an interception deep in his own territory, set the Eagles up for an easy drive that let them take the lead in the fourth quarter. Various miscues sank the offense. James Cook drops a likely touchdown pass in the midway through the first quarter. Bills wind up scoring no points right there. There's a big swing just before halftime where Josh is penalized for intentional grounding. And yes, I can hear the Bills fans arguing that, you know, his jersey was damn near torn in half on that play. Still, costly penalty down in the red zone, winds up with a blocked field goal. And then the most brutal one of all, the Bills had this game won. Gabe Davis breaks open in the end zone in overtime and him and Josh Allen just aren't on the same page. Ball falls incomplete when it could have been the game-winning touchdown. As soon as that happens, you say, oh, the football gods will be punishing this. Jalen Hurts is leading the Eagles right down the field for the game-winning touchdown, and that's exactly what happened after the Bills went up by three points. It's a cruel spot for Buffalo to be in because the Bills team that we saw on Sunday that that version of the Bills wins a lot of games. But they're going to have to be that version of the Bills from here on out if they're going to manage the schedule that's in front of them. They're on the bye week, so hey, catch your breath. Everybody, rest up, recuperate. Joe Brady, the interim offensive coordinator, solid start to his career in Buffalo, by the way. Back-to-back 30-point games after Ken Dorsey got fired, but it's going to have to be like this from here on out. Three of the last five games are against the Chiefs, Cowboys, Dolphins. Throw in a division game against the Patriots. Throw in a game against the Chargers team, which Godspeed predicting what they're ever going to do. We haven't seen them string together consistent, good performances and wins since September. And that is now what they're going to have to do to earn a playoff spot. It's basically like, it's like the smartest kid in class who just doesn't study enough and they bomb all of their tests throughout the semester. Well, now it's going to take an A plus on the final to land this plane. That That's what it's going to take over the last five weeks of their season. If they can do what we saw on Sunday, I know they lost to the Eagles. If they can do what we saw on Sunday, they're in the playoffs. It's just a matter of if they can do it against the caliber of opposition that's in front of them. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, if you're following along at home, maybe you think we left a certain someone out of the AFC wildcard race. And no, Yenzers, not to worry. We didn't forget about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's just that their win against Cincinnati qualifies to be item number three on our Sunday Six, and that is our weekly coaching spotlight. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communications. And yet again, another Impressive performance for a first-time offensive coordinator, or in this case, offensive coordinators. Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan get promoted into the OC job after Mike, uh, excuse me, Matt Canada gets fired last week. And how is that for a transition in Pittsburgh? I can feel the vindication from Steelers Nation. They've been calling for Matt Canada's dismissal for what feels like two years, probably is two years. And we immediately see the payoff 
in the Steelers' first game without him, a 16-10 win over Cincinnati. What was it, 58 games without a 400-yard performance from this Steelers' offense? They hadn't cracked 400 yards since the 2020 season. It's more than three years ago when Ben Roethlisberger was still slinging the rock around. At no point in Matt Canada's two-and-a-half-year tenure did they manage 400 yards. Now, granted, it was the Jake Browning-led Bengals, but they also outgained their opponent for the first time this season. Baby steps, y'all. Baby steps. Two things stand out to me from watching this game, and that's A, Faulkner and Sullivan, to me, it clearly seemed like they were focused on finding a, a safety blanket, an easy button for Kenny Pickett. And that guy goes by the name of tight end Pat Fryermuth, targeted on half of his routes run. He was targeted 11 times, ran just 23 routes on the day, nine catches, his first 100-yard performance. Have to find a way to get reliable completions. Doesn't always have to be George Pickens beating one-on-one coverage outside, though George Pickens did do that. But I don't think it's a coincidence that when you have a tight end reliably getting open in advantageous situations, easy throws and catches, Kenny Pickett finishes with his second-best passer rating of the season. And obviously, the new guys also found a way to keep the ground game going. Now, Pittsburgh's been running the ball fairly well the last month. They've had success doing that at times this year. But at the very least, Najee Harris finally got involved. Former first-round pick has been suffering through a hell of a disappointing season. It's averaging just 50 yards per game going into this thing. Against Cincinnati, he broke out for 99. It should have been 100. He got to 100. And then he lost some yards just after he crossed over that threshold. Look, it's not much. It's 16 points. There are going to be tougher games than beating this, the Jake Browning-led Bengals. But it's not the, the Pittsburgh offense isn't going against Jake Browning. They are going against a pretty damn good Cincinnati defense that gets a lot of credit under Luana Rumo. So, yes, 16 points isn't exciting. But when you crack 400 yards for the first time in almost three years, it is worth spotlighting. That is our coaching spotlight for the week. And if this is what they can do against a solid defense, like they've got winnable games coming up, Cardinals and Patriots on the horizon. We'll see what happens after that, but they're already in the wild card hunt. Like they already, they got to six and four with an offense that couldn't outgain their opposition. So with an offense that is at least a threat to stockpile some yards and maybe score some points, we'll see just how far they can go. But Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan definitely deserving of a shout out coming out of week 12. Let's finally give some love to the NFC item number four on our Sunday six. That's the grudge match in Atlanta. I said at the top of the show how chalk heavy this week was, but one division lead did change hands. The Atlanta Falcons beat the New Orleans Saints 24 to 15 at Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Didn't always look great. Honestly looked like the Falcons might be heading for another dark day. Desmond Ritter with a couple early turnovers, but he responded in a big, big way. Talking now to the guys that called it, Joe Davis, Daryl Moose Johnston. Guys, like I said, kind of an ugly start for Desmond Ritter, but how did you see him bounce back to lead the Falcons to this win? Well, you had the couple picks today, but he made some good plays, and then you had that running game. That's always going to be there for Arthur Smith's team, and they get a win. Well, I think the biggest thing is I think he learned a lot. Um, you know, the reasons why he was having the turnovers, but I think he also got an opportunity to watch Taylor Heineke uh, perform as the starting quarterback for two weeks and see how he approached his craft, and I think he learned some things. You know, you can be more vocal, and you can ask for things to be taken out of the game plan that you don't feel comfortable with or you feel are not playing to your strengths, and I think that that's a big thing, and he never really had that before. The two interceptions today, I, I'm going to say the, the first one, I, I don't think that's on him. I think yeah. it was a real jumbled up play. The second one is, is definitely on him. He threw a back shoulder fade. It, it didn't call for a back shoulder fade. So we still got to work on that. But the biggest thing for Desmond Ritter is understand who you have around you. There's a number of really good skill players on this offense. I'll tell you what, I was extremely impressed with their offensive line today. Yeah. It may have been the most impressive thing for me. So you're talking about a team that's got all the pieces in place around you. If he can grow and mature, the guy love him. That's a hard thing to do to get your teammates to really rally around you. He's got so much good going on right now. Is just tempering down some of those mistakes you're making and I think things are going to be fine. Arthur Smith has picked at four, at eight, and at eight the last three drafts. If there was a quarterback there that he really wanted, he would have taken him. 
And he wants to build this offense around a bunch of dynamic skill players, which he has. And he's hoping he has the right guy to kind of run that whole thing. And more than just a win today and his return to the starting lineup, it's a win that puts him into first place here for the stretch run. One thing I'll say about Desmond Ritter is this. For all of his flaws, for whatever mistakes he's made this season, he's had a clutch moment at the end of virtually every Falcons win. Green Bay all the way back in week two, the Texans, the Buccaneers, and now the Saints. Not a walk-off drive here against New Orleans, but putting together a 95-yard scoring drive to take a two-possession lead in the fourth quarter. Desmond Ritter has come through at the end of most of Atlanta's big moments this season. But for all the love for Desmond Ritter, and we'll throw in Bijan Robinson too, finally, we're getting Bijan Robinson involved in the passing game. He, as a receiver, scores the touchdown that that really puts Atlanta in control of this game. But, okay, cool. All that said, I want to talk about the other side of the ball and something that can get swept under the rug on a busy Sunday. Let's talk about Jesse Bates the third. Let's talk about every spring we look at the major free agency deals that get signed, and so often we say, oh, you don't want to win free agency. You overpay guys. You, you pay good players great money. So back in March, the Falcons signed one of the best safeties in the NFL, Jesse Bates, to a big-time $64 million contract. I bet they feel pretty good about it today, sitting on top of the NFC South. Jesse Bates going up against the New Orleans Saints. He finishes with 12 tackles, a pass breakup, a 92-yard pick six that really turned this game on its head. Saints are driving to potentially take a 10-0 lead. Jesse Bates says, absolutely not, Derek Carr. I'm going to step right in front of that slant. I'm going to take it to the house. And then in the fourth quarter, I mentioned the 95-yard drive by Desmond Ritter. That doesn't happen if Jesse Bates doesn't force a fumble of Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill runs for 10 yards, picks up what looks like a first and goal at the Atlanta eight, looking like a big time moment for the Saints. Jesse Bates punches the ball out. Falcons recover. They go down and take a two possession lead. Obviously, it doesn't all happen without your quarterback and your star running back doing their thing. But I just want to make sure everybody is aware that Jesse Bates balled the hell out and you know, if if you're not paying attention, it's the type of thing that's going to get lost in the box score. But a hell of a hell of a day from him and a hell of a nice spot for a five and six team to be if you're Atlanta. It's not just that the Falcons beat their hated rival or that they regain the division lead. More importantly, right now, they're undefeated in the division. They're three and oh, and they've already got wins against the Saints and the Bucks. All due respect to the Panthers. You're not going to be part of this division race. It is a three team race. The Falcons have won their first game against each. They can't finish with a losing record in the division. 3-0. Worst they can do is 500 against their division opponents. They've still got a game against a woeful Panthers team. I'm liking where the Falcons are. Famous last words because if there's one thing I know right now, it's I don't think we can fully trust anybody in the NFC South. But of the three, Falcons clearly in the best spot of all. Speaking of not being able to trust people, Alvin Kamara with the quote of the day for the New Orleans Saints calling his team consistently inconsistent. If that's not perfectly said, I don't know what is. The Saints have to be beyond pissed that, that this is a game. Not only did they lose, they lost by two possessions. Like they didn't even lose at the gun. They have 444 yards of offense. They got to the red zone five times. You know how many touchdowns they scored? They didn't score any. They finished with 15 points, all field goals. No touchdowns in a division rival against a division rival, a team that you know well. In a game coming out of the bye week, we always say you self-scout, you retool, you figure out what you do well, what you don't do well. And to some degree, they did. They finally got Chris Olave going. He had a hundred and he had a hundred yards at halftime and it's not the saints fault that he goes out with a concussion, but I would like to think that the saints have enough talent on their roster that even if you don't win, you get into the end zone at least one time. It's, it's been the story of the saints season. Are they, were they supposed to be the best team in the NFL? No, but when you consider the strengths of their roster and the weakness of the division and 
all due respect to the Falcons, it is a weak division. The team leading it is below 500. I think the Saints deserve mention as one of the most disappointing teams in the league. When you're paying a quarterback what Derek Carr is getting paid, when you have some of the talented players that they have on defense, you try to, I mean, you you run it back to some degree. That's what the Saints have been doing all these years. They run it back with veteran players. They always find a way to get under the cap. Season's not over. Don't get me wrong. And all, I said it last week, all these teams are going to play several more games against each other, but really, really disappointing to see the way the Saints continually step on their own feet, continually do things like find ways not to score in the red zone. It's very disappointing, but for all of the reasons I just said, you can't completely rule them out. Falcons on top of the NFC South, but lots, lots more football to play in that division. Weirdly enough, I guess you have to keep the Saints in mind as a wild card team as well. I don't think anybody would peg the NFC South to have two playoff teams, but that is the situation brewing in the NFC. We started the show talking about how brutal it looks in the AFC teams above 500, not making it into the playoff field right now over in the NFC. Not quite the same story. Every team that's at or above 500 in the NFC currently in the playoff field and the next three best teams, Packers, Rams, Saints, all below 500 right now. They are all just one game away from the party. Talked about the Packers big win to climb back into playoff contention last week after the Thanksgiving game. Let's talk about a team that no team yo-yos like the LA Rams and evidenced by this game, just when you're ready to write them off and say, ah, they just don't have it. They show up with a hell of a performance like they did on Sunday, beating down the Arizona Cardinals. And I mean, I know the Cardinals aren't great, but we've said all year, this is a feisty team beating Arizona 37 to 14. A departure, we'll say, from what we've seen in Cardinals games for the vast majority of the year. Most impressively to me, second year running back Kyron Williams. Welcome back to the league, buddy. 201 all-purpose yards. Talking now to the guys who called the game, Chris Myers and Robert Smith. Guys, having a running back like this, how does Kyron Williams change this Rams offense moving forward? Well, Dave, it's a good question for us to ask a former running back in the NFL. <laughs> Kyron Williams, he runs, he catches. This really is a dynamic that a play caller like Sean McVay, even with all those good receivers, loves to work with. It really changes their offense, I think, going forward as long as he's healthy. Yeah, as long as he's healthy. But let's not forget Matthew Stafford. He's banged up with the thumb. Puka Nakua. Cooper Cup, all of those guys have been banged up, but certainly getting Kyron Williams back, just like he had done against Arizona in the first game. He ran for 158 in that one, so more than 300 yards in two games. It really balances your offense out. But let's be honest now, playing against an Arizona defense that was banged up itself. So they're going to have their opportunities in coming weeks. They're going to be playing the Browns. They're going to be playing the Ravens. And they're going to be playing the 49ers down the stretch. So, yes, the offense looks better. But we'll see how it looks against some of the best defenses in the league in the weeks to come. Yes, second year running back from Notre Dame drafted in the fifth round. Something about that fifth round. Puka Nakua, <laughs> yeah, right? Fifth round. A magical round. From uh, Brigham Young, but a good story for the Rams. Robert kind of took my talking point right out of my mouth, which is that, look, some of these 500, barely sub 500 teams are in an advantageous situation. You go look at the Indianapolis Colts schedule down the stretch and you see a lot of winnable games, a lot of ways that they can stockpile wins approaching the postseason. It's not going to be the case for the Rams. They are, if this, the, regardless what happens, it's a cool story. What they've done bouncing back from last season, Matthew Stafford reminding everybody he's still a hell of a quarterback when he's healthy. Puka Nakua breaking out as one of the coolest young receivers in the league, a fifth round pick doing his thing out of nowhere, but they're going to have to earn everything that they get from here on out. Browns, Ravens, back-to-back. They end the season with the 49ers. It's much harder to pinpoint the given wins for this team. But the NFC playoff race, it's, call it what it is, it's much more forgiving than the AFC. Like I said, behind the the, the Seahawks and the, the Vikings and the Seahawks in the 6th and 7th seed, just one game above 500. Green Bay, LA, New Orleans right there with them. 
I don't think you can write anybody out there. And like I said, I don't think anybody is expecting too much of the Arizona Cardinals, but all year long. And even with Kyler Murray coming back, they have been a tough out for damn near everybody they've played. It, it, it stands out to me when the Rams are able to go on a road, they were underdogs in this game. The line was Cardinals minus one. The Rams win by 23. Every time I'm ready to write the Rams off as a team that I don't need to pay attention to. They pull me back in. They did it again on Sunday. We've spent so much of the show talking about the top of the league. Let's use item number six on the Sunday six to talk about the top of the draft order. And nowhere was that more emblematic than a game that happened in New Jersey between the New York Giants and the New England Patriots. I'm I'm not sure what to say. The Giants win 10 to 7 at the gun. Patriots miss a very makeable field goal. Just a perfect display of how brutal it's been for the Patriots this season. Mac Jones benched at halftime once again. And now the New England Patriots, believe it or not, currently slated to have a top three pick in the NFL draft. New York Giants, as terrible as it's been for them, Tommy DeVito, toast of the town. They are climbing the draft order. We can debate whether we think that's a good idea. I mean, how much do you want to win, Giants? Maybe think about that while you're on your bye week. But let's let's talk to the guys who were there on a rainy day in New Jersey, Jonathan Vilma and Kenny Albert. Guys, I, I want to start on the losing half of this. Obviously, it's a brutal day for the Patriots, not getting the field goal. Mac Jones benched. Where do you, well, first of all, where do you see this going with Mac Jones benched again? Is, is this the start of, of a change for the Patriots or, or where do you see them going at quarterback from here? Well, I, I see it going the same way it's been going. If Mac Jones is going to be the starter, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, he's going to continue playing. As soon as he does turn the ball over, it's going to be a very short leash for him and he's going to be yanked and then Zappi will get in and finish the game unless he turns the ball over too many times because that was frankly the greatest thing about Tom Brady for all that he did throwing the football. He didn't put the team in bad situations. He protected the football. He didn't have the sack fumbles and the poor interceptions and that's what Bill Belichick is looking for. Over on the flip side of this, JV, I heard you mention this at the end of the broadcast. Look, I don't know if it changes the Giants' outlook in the big picture, but for everything that's gone wrong for this team this season, how can you put me in the shoes of the guys in that locker room and how nice it must feel to, to put a little bit of a win streak together? I can definitely put you in their shoes. There was one season, my second year in the league, that I went 4-12, and lost 10 straight. And all we were looking for is searching for a victory, search for something to celebrate. And they're finding ways to do it now because everyone's going to be against you, trying to pull you apart, playing the blame game with the media. So they have to stick together. That's what we did. We stuck together and we found ways to come together. And when we finally won, we celebrated. We had a lot of fun. It was a great time. It was like we won our own Super Bowl. So I know the feeling for the Giants, and hopefully they'll continue to compound on this and get more victories. And the Giants' defense has come up huge the last couple of weeks. They forced uh, six takeaways between their defense and special teams last week in Washington. Today they come up with three interceptions. And the Giants' defense is finally finding their identity. I'm understanding that we're the team. And the reason that they're saying we're the team is because they know if they get takeaways, they win football games. That's the best thing about the Giants' defense. Maybe not the prettiest game in the league this week, but nobody on that Giants roster is going to be complaining. Guys, I appreciate the time. I love football as much as anybody. With all due respect, that's that's all I've got on Patriots-Giants. I'm happy for Tommy DeVito. It's really dope that, that the hand gesture, the Italian hand gesture thing is officially a thing with the Giants, but 10-7, that's all I got. What I'd rather do is, is focus on what this means in the big picture, which when you're talking about bad football teams, that's the draft order. I alluded to it at the start of this. It's, it's wild to see the New England Patriots suddenly all the way down at two and nine. They are guaranteed a losing record for the second straight year. And look, since Tom Brady left, we've, we've kind of gotten used to the Patriots losing games, but not being this far out of contention this early in the season. And the crazy thing now is it is it's feasible to think that the Patriots will have one of the very, very premium picks 
in the NFL draft. I saw somebody joked on Twitter on Sunday afternoon. I'm sorry if I'm not accrediting this the way that I should, but they, they said the Patriots losing their way into being able to draft a Caleb Williams or a Drake may a franchise changing quarterback. It's kind of like the Spurs stumbling into Victor Wimbenyama in the NBA. Like, are we really ready to let the Patriots get a talent like that after so many years of dominating the NFL with Tom Brady and everyone else? It's looking more and more like a reality. You look at the draft order behind me. The season ended today. Shout out the Chicago Bears. By virtue of owning the Carolina Panthers pick, they would have the first pick in the draft as well as the fourth. We'll see whether or not They beat Minnesota on Monday night. Bears, much like the Giants, looking a little more formidable than they had earlier in the season. Maybe they climb a little bit higher, but I feel very, I'll call it right now, I feel very confident the Carolina Panthers and therefore the Chicago Bears are heading for the number one overall pick. Not a bad spot to be. We mentioned the Arizona Cardinals. Feisty in the vast majority of their games. Still looking like they're going to finish with at worst, a top five pick, currently picking second in the draft order. Fascinated to see what that means for the future of Kyler Murray. Can they afford to pass on a quarterback? Is Kyler, I mean, I personally, even after a rough game against the Rams, I think Kyler Murray has been very intriguing in Drew Petzing's offense out there in Arizona. Like I just said, the the New England Patriots potentially being in a position to draft a franchise quarterback. It's just... I don't know. It's unsettling. And I'm not even, look, I'm not, I'm not an AFC East fan. I don't have any real beef with the New England Patriots, but it is just weird to see the face of the league, the most dominant franchise of the last 20 or so years, potentially set up to take a swing at somebody like Caleb Williams or Drake May. New York Giants all of a sudden, all the way up at number six. Like I said, Jonathan Vilma made the great point. Look, I mean, when you're a player, on a bad team. I get it. You make it into late November, early December after all that negativity, after all the crap that has happened to the New York giants, I'm sure it feels great to win. I don't blame them for that, but if I'm Joe Shane and Brian Dable, I'm sitting there during the bye week saying, Hey, 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 let's not mess up too much of a good thing. Let's keep our hands on one of these premium picks so we can make sure we don't have too many more Novembers like this. I feel like the commanders have the opposite problem where they could soon be free-falling into that Panthers, Patriots, Cardinals territory. Four and eight games against Miami, San Francisco, Dallas still coming up on the schedule. Could get really ugly in Washington, but these are the things I daydream about as I watch the Giants outlast the Patriots in a 10-7 thriller. Yeah, we'll call it that. But that's what it looks like right now. We will see how it ages as this last month of the season plays out. That does it for the Sunday six. We're not quite done yet, though. As usual, we do have an episode of Ask Glazer, a very special East Coast episode of Ask Glazer with our guy, NFL on Fox insider Jay Glazer. Check it out. Back again for another edition of Ask Glazer with with the the traveler, Jay Glazer. A couple weeks ago. You're in Colorado Springs flying a glider. This weekend you're in New York lighting up the Empire State Building. Like what I mean, what a what a month for you, man. How was that whole experience? God almighty, for a New Yorker to light up the Empire State Building, Fox Blue, it was incredible. I mean, it really was. And you know, for me to be there with Jim, we had Jimmy, Kurt, and Cletus, and my lovely fiance Rosie over here. Say hello. Rosie, Rosie, Rosie yep, yep. Give it a little love right there. It's a family. She's the one that keeps me sane between the years. Yes. <laughs> Um, and, uh, no, it was, it was so cool. And again, you guys know him from here. So I kind of took Rosie back here to all my old stomping grounds and a lot of old, old restaurants. And it was just, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I love living where I live now in Cali. When I first left New York, all my friends were like, man, you can never leave New York. You're going to miss the seasons. I'm like, I got the travel channel. I'm good. <laughs> I'm done with cold. You're all right. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, California is amazing, but it is a, hey, I mean, if you're going to be in New York, I feel like the holidays is the perfect time to do it. So that's, yeah. that's a heck of an opportunity for yeah. you. All right. It really was cool. It, it was great to be back here. And again, I'm, I'm shaking over here just because I'm driving out to JFK over here and there's no possible way for you to drive and for your phone not to shake because all the damn potholes that are everywhere. 
It's just, it's just, it's life in New York. Navigating New York traffic and bringing us NFL news. I love it a lot. All right. I got a couple questions hey, back, for you. Hey, real quick. Back in the day when I was covering the Giants and I was so broke and Strahan drove me back in the city every single day for years and years because I didn't have enough money to, to go take a subway to a bus to Giants Stadium back. At one point, I got a $1,000 motorcycle to drive myself back and forth. And I got hit by a bus twice. I hit the wall of the Lincoln Tunnel once, all because of these same potholes that I'm talking about. So, you know, I, I was just like, you know what? I don't want Michael always pay, you know, for those tolls. And I already know how much I owe him in Lincoln Tunnel fare. And, man, trust me, that, that cheap bastard is going to make sure I pay it at some point in life. So I got myself a motorcycle, drove these streets in New York City um, until it finally got totaled with me on it. When you're not in, <laughs> when you're not in traffic and we've got a little more time, I have a million questions about everything you just said. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait until we have a little more time, but I yeah. need to hear about your motorcycle adventures in New York city. All right. Oh yeah. I got, I got this a couple, board. I got a couple NFL news questions for you for starters. Interesting scene here. Um, Shaq Leonard recently released by the Colts is at this Colts game. I'm curious if you've heard any updates about what might happen next with the former Colts linebacker. No, you know, I was a little surprised by that one also. He's so beloved inside that organization, too. That's why, like, he's the guy that, you know, they moved off from him. Um, but he's still, like, he'll, he'll be a guy for years and years and years that I think still have a presence with that organization, community relations type thing with that organization. And, you know, it would be interesting to see if a team like the Eagles or something like that takes a run. Something to keep an eye on for sure. Sam wants to know, Kevin Stefanski, dark horse coach of the year candidate. feels like people maybe aren't talking about him enough. People were actually killing Kevin Stefanski a couple of weeks ago, right? Now look, look at the job he's done. Um, I think he is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, finding Childress is, is basically his, pretty much his secretary. Um, back in the day when Brad's with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and I, I joke around her, but like he's like his administrative assistant, but really got to learn early about it was Andy Reid's offense. So he got to learn that for the early stages. But you want to talk about a guy who didn't splatter. Like, he worked his way up on the bottom and took every single step up. And, you know, I, I think Kevin is, you know, I talk a lot about Dan Campbell, how authentic he is. And I think Kevin is like one of those guys, and you're seeing it like the D'Amico Ryans now. And guys like that are really, you know, rising up. That style, I think, is working a lot more now. Uh, the, just these authentic guys that, aren't so much about beating guys down and scaring the heck out of you, but more so kind of loving these guys up a little bit more. One last one for you. It's about a guy that played on Thanksgiving. Cowboys corner Deron Bland sets the league record for pick sixes in a yeah. season. What are, what are your thoughts on Deron Bland's defensive player of the year candidacy? I mean, it's it's pretty obvious to me he belongs on the short list, but where, where do you think that shakes out with what he's doing in Dallas? I don't know about defensive player of the year because obviously a lot of stuff is still, you know, Mike is the guy over there. That's, that's it. And a lot of these, you know, players are, are caused because you have such little time to throw because of what Mike is doing over there. But yeah, what Deron Bland's doing, it's unreal. And I'm not surprised when you have a guy like Dan Quinn who, who does so many creative things to disguise what they're actually doing. You've seen Dan Quinn do this, even, you know, back in the Falcons, you know, he actually took over the defense during that, the, their their Super Bowl run, and he had guys who were kind of no-name guys who were really making huge plays. So, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say I'm not, I'm, I'm surprised because it's shocking to see, you know, this many pick sixes. So that is shocking. But Dan Quinn, man, he, he, the guy just, he, he, he sets players up to do things that we're not used to seeing. Yeah, well said. Still has what six more games to play. We'll see if he can build on it from the crazy. <laughs> from the busy streets of New York, Jay, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time, man. I hope y'all uh, travel safe back to LA. Okay. This has been a dream month going from Colorado for our, our, you know, veterans day trip. Um, then obviously Jimmy getting being announced last week that he's going to be in the ring of honor at the Cowboys. Now let's be out of here in New York. This was just incredible. It, it really, Hey, like I think I told you this on the show in the past, there's not a day that goes past that I don't wake up and 
I'm still waiting to wake up in fifth grade. None of this happened. And it's, it's called living in gratitude, man. I'm still every morning of my life. I look up, say, thank you, God almighty for where I am. I'll never take it for granted. I still can't believe it. I'll never make it like, Oh, I, Oh yeah. I've been there. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm cool. I've been there. Uh, I, I don't care. I'm, I'll, every time we do something, something like the empire state building, I, I walked right in. I told our producer, Bill Richards, man, it's, it's just a bucket moment you know, in my life, bucket list moment. It was really, really cool, man. This has been amazing. I it's, it's your enthusiasm is infectious. I appreciate it, man. Like I said, travel safe. We'll catch you next weekend. Hey, happy turkey day, pros, you know, I to everybody out there. <laughs> She's the one who keeps me sane, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Take care guys. See you, brother. Bye. One last order of business for today's show. And that is a new segment. We are calling it the stat snap. Every week, we're going to bring you something unique, something different, something rare that happened during Sunday's action. This week comes to you from a wild one. Eagles, Bills, Jalen Hurts, and Josh Allen combined for four rushing touchdowns, two each. That's the first time since 1950 that opposing quarterbacks have each rushed for multiple touchdowns in a game. It's just the second time it's ever happened in NFL history way back when all the way back in 1950, it was Johnny Lujak and Bobby Lane. Each had two apiece. Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts do it on Sunday. Jalen Hurts is the walk-off winner in overtime. What a game. What a stat. Share that one at the water cooler. Do they Is water cooler a talk anymore in 2023? I don't know. Tell your friends. Tell somebody. It'll make you seem really smart. I loved that one. All right. That does it for the show. Thank you so much for listening, for watching, for subscribing. If you don't, please go find us on Spotify. Please go find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You know the drill. We appreciate it. We will be back on Tuesday. Like I said, we've got a whole segment on the Eagles. We're going to talk to Ralph Vacchiano about the 10 and 1 birds, where they go from here ahead of their showdown with San Francisco. We'll have a recap on Vikings Bears, Monday Night Football have all the news and notes for you heading into week 13 of the NFL season. How is it already week 13? I don't know. We will catch you next time until then. Thanks so much. Thanks.